0: Hello everybody, Mark Levine here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. How about those Eagles, Mr. Producer? Oy, oy, oy. they were dropping balls left and right. Felt like it was New Year's every night, the ball coming down. Anyway, congratulations to Dallas getting tough to watch those Eagles games now, just being honest with you. So at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, you watch my show. All right, I want to take a little time focusing on uh, Willard Romney. As you know, I'm the cleanup hitter, so I don't really get to listen to most of the other shows during the course of the day. I'm doing Levin TV, Life, Liberty, and Levin, writing, prepping for this program, and so forth. So I'm busy. I catch them now and then, here and there, but none today. And so it's a clean slate now, Willard Romney, first of all let's let's his name is Willard. now, if you were embarrassed by your name and you didn't want to be called Willard, wasn't that a movie about a rat? I think it was Well, there you go. a rat rather than a rhino. If you're going to change your name and have a nickname, why would you call yourself Mitt? You know Frank. Joe, Ben, Sam, Abdullah, Muhammad, but Mitt, Mitt Romney, maybe I like Willard better. Willard Mitt Romney. Well, I've done a lot of studying on him today and yesterday and what he's up to, and he's up to no damn good. And he's being praised by the media now. You can see the puff pieces. He's a real statesman, you see, ladies and gentlemen. He's independent now. He's liberated. He's unleashed. He can be himself. Well, who is Mitt Romney? When he ran for governor of Massachusetts and got elected, he was a liberal Republican. Then he was positioning himself to run in the Republican primary for president. At the end of his term as governor, he started to move right. Then when he ran for the nomination more than once, of the Republican nomination, he called himself, and I quote, a severe conservative. Then when he got the nomination and he ran against Barack Melhouse, Benito Obama, he lost because he ran a lousy campaign. So in part thanks to him, in major part thanks to him, we got two terms of of Obama. Then during the uh, nominating process, the Republican presidential nominating process in 2016, he gave a truly vicious speech against Trump. Vicious, and never Trumper speech. And during the general election, he was not supportive of Trump either. We all duped it out in the primary. During the general election, Trump was the nominee of the party. Well, that didn't sit that well with Romney. He was conspiring with the Never Trumpers, Bill Kristol, and their ilk behind the scenes. They really couldn't come up with anybody. They came up with a doofus from National Review, I believe, but I don't remember. Or he rejected it. They came up with another doofus from Capitol Hill, a staffer. That's all they could find. President of the United States is enormously gracious. You might recall when Mitt Romney was running for president in 2012, he went to Trump Tower and asked Trump for his support and got it. You also may recall that after the president was elected as president-elect, President Trump invited Mitt Romney to interview to be considered for secretary of state. Mitt Romney came to New Jersey and was interviewed. He wasn't chosen. Mitt Romney runs for a senator in Utah. He seeks and gets Donald Trump's support. The people in Utah have no idea who they're electing because Mitt Romney conceals it. A.K.A. Pierre Delecto. I'll get to that in a minute. Pierre Delecto. That sounds like something nasty, Mr. Producer. You know? Mitt, stop with the Pierre Delecto. Not in public, Mitt. Uh, Anyway, so he gets elected to the Senate. And the first thing he does is write a scathing op-ed in the Washington Compost against the President of the United States. And from that moment forward, this is what he's done. He has basically regurgitated whatever the left media has to say about the President. He repeats it. And so he gets an enormous puff piece In the Atlantic, a left-wing site entitled The Liberation of Mitt Romney by McKay Coppins. McKay Coppins says he's been covering Mitt Romney for nine years. Who the hell would want to cover Mitt Romney for nine years? But anyway, McKay does. Another one with the name, McKay Coppins. And apparently McKay Coppins is talking to and interviewing and taping Mitt Romney for months. Since he's been elected. For months. So, Mitt Romney is now working with the media and the left and the never Trumpers to try and dislodge Trump. That's what he's doing. There's nothing heroic about it, nothing heroic at all. Because at all. if Mitt Romney's successful, ultimately, one of those Democrats running for president will be the president of the United States. And our country will be changed forever. There'll be no turning back. So Mitt Romney's trying to do to President Trump what Mitt Romney would never want done to him once he got the nomination of the party. Here's Mitt Romney on HBO with Axios, another left wing site. This uh, Politico spawns these left-wing sites like the Washington Compost and New York Slimes do. Let's hear this. He's being interviewed by Mike Allen, who's had more jobs than any so-called journalist than I've ever heard of. Cut 10. Go. Is Barack Obama
3: an honorable man? I believe he's an honorable man, yes. Yeah, uh, a good family man, and he made a lot of mistakes. Most presidents do. Let's stop there. How does he know
0: he's a good family man? I'm not saying he isn't. But how does he know definitively? And why is he an honorable man? Why is he an honorable man? He tried to rewrite the Constitution. He rewrote our immigration laws from the Oval Office. I don't understand why he's an honorable man. He sought to fundamentally transform America. He trashed the State of Israel. He undermined the the freedom fighters in Syria when he drew that red line and then backed off. He did nothing to face down the Russians in Crimea. He allowed the Red Chinese to roll all over us. He was very, very divisive in this country. So I'm trying to figure out why he's an honorable man, Barack Obama. Anyway, go ahead.
3: Joe Biden an
0: honorable man? Uh, you know, I don't know Joe Biden
3: terribly well, but from everything I've seen uh, uh, and the interactions I've had with him, he seems to be a. Everything man of you've honor.
0: seen? You're old enough to remember what he did to Robert Bork. He tried to destroy that man, a, a wonderful man of deep character and ethics. He tried to destroy him. You saw what he tried to do to Clarence Thomas, another wonderful man, enormously intelligent, deep ethics. You saw what Biden tried to do to him. You know Biden was a plagiarist, you know he's been a liar. But he's an honorable man, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Biden's an honorable man. Who's next? I wonder. Go ahead. It's President Trump, an honorable I knew man. where you were
3: going, uh, but, I, but I'm not going to let you ca- catch me in a corner. Uh, he has elements, I'm sure, of honor in his life, and there's th- things that I think are not honorable. Uh, and I mentioned that because of the um, a payment to a porn star for uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. Look, I'm... I'm uh, uh, I, I'm one of those who believes that we have a responsibility to be uh, honorable and faithful to our wives. And uh, the president made a failing in that regard.
0: This, I think most of us can agree that it's important to be faithful to your wife. I certainly agree with that. But I will say this. Since Donald Trump's been president of the United States, there's not even a whiff of scandal. Not a whiff. I could spell that for Joe Scarborough, but let him look it up. Speaking of scandal, right, Joe? There's not even a whiff of scandal. And many of the people that Mitt Romney talks to in the media cheat on their wives are adulterers. But that's okay, apparently. Now, that said, those of you who've read *On Freedom of the Press, I have an entire chapter on this. John Kennedy... Had an untold number of adulterous acts while he was president of the United States, including with an East German spy, with a mob boss's girlfriend, and with an underage intern. They've been written about by numerous scholars. Sabato's one of them, and of course I mention it also in unfreedom of the press. And the media covered it up. And the media covered it up while he was President of the United States for a short period of time. Robert Kennedy also, while he was Attorney General. They say Lyndon Johnson made the Kennedys look like choir boys. Enormous number of affairs, including in the Oval Office. Donald Trump hasn't done any of that. None of it. Now, Mitt Romney says that Barack Obama is an honorable man. This would be the same Barack Obama who pretends he didn't know that his internal revenue service was used to go after the Tea Party, auditing innocent Americans. But that doesn't bother him. This would be the same Barack Obama who unleashed the FBI against the media including James Risen at the New York Times, James Rosen at Fox, including the Associated Press, multiple reporters. But you see, Barack Obama is an honorable man. John Kennedy used the IRS against his political opponents. And Newsweek knew about it. Their chief reporter knew about it. Ben Bradley was his name at the time. He would eventually move over to the sister publication of Washington Post. It's was fine by Ben Bradley. Ben Bradley was even shown FBI files that Pierre Salinger brought to him on behalf of John Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson, another one with the IRS files and the FBI. He even tapped his vice president's phones, Hubert Humphrey, because when Humphrey decided to run for president, he wanted to know what Humphrey was saying off the record about the Vietnam War he tapped Barry Goldwater's campaign phones. In fact, at the Democrat convention in Atlantic City, he sent FBI agents into that convention to keep an eye on Martin Luther King, other civil rights leaders, Democrats, and so forth. Franklin Roosevelt unleashed the IRS against publishers he disagreed with. Publisher of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Gannett. And he sicked the FBI against Andrew Mellon, who'd been the Treasury Secretary under President Coolidge, who did absolutely nothing wrong, was found to have done nothing wrong, but he told his Secretary of Treasury, Morgenthau, to try and put him in prison. So they went after him for years, and they failed. FDR unleashed the IRS against Huey Long, who he considered a challenger from the left. He got a number of Huey Long's buddies who were corrupt. And as they were focusing in on Huey Long and really gunning for him, Huey Long was assassinated. Not by FDR, obviously. Now, these are relatively modern presidents. I could go even more deeply. But Romney, you see, is a problem with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's character. He's a problem with Donald Trump's character. I have a problem with Mitt Romney's character. He's a chameleon. We have a battle right now over our Constitution, over capitalism over separation of powers, over the perversion of the impeachment clause, over a real live battle going on, where the Democrat Party has been hijacked by the radical left, by the media, the media in this country, which now pushes social activism, progressivism, and has control over the Democrat Party. But Mitt Romney is a very small man, very thin-skinned man. He's a chameleon, as I said. And he's more than happy to do the dirty work for the left as they praise him with slobbering news articles and so forth. I'll be right back. love in. Welcome to Hillsdale. We are going to be inviting Mitt Romney on my Fox show. I'd love to do a candid civil interview with Mr. Romney. So I've told our folks to reach out to Mr. Romney and his staff. I mean, after all, he's going to do an interview with The Atlantic and Axios and write op-eds for The Washington Post. What's the harm? unlike anybody who works at any of those institutions, I voted for Mitt Romney, as did most of you. And so we're going to invite Mitt Romney onto the program for a Noah Holds Bar interview. Uh, as I say, be quite civil, and we'll see if he accepts. Mitt Romney is very upset with this president, everything he does and everything he says, his entire lifestyle. And yet, And yet, he won the presidency and Mitt Romney did not. Mitt Romney did not. He doesn't like the language that the president uses. And yet he goes into the media, the language they use, calling the president Hitler and Stalin and a dictator and all the rest. Not a word about that. As do his political opponents. This president doesn't wake up in the morning just calling people names. He's the victim. He's the victim. I'll explain more when we return. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arnn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, Learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God, because He is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu, that's hillsdale.edu, for more information. Hillsdale College. Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. All right. Mitt Romney on HBO with Axios. Let's see if Mitt Romney will come on Life, Liberty, and Levin with Mark Levin. We'll give it a shot. He never really wanted to come on radio, did he, either, Mr. Producer, when he was running for president. I don't believe we ever got him. But we love him to come on TV, full hour. He won't get that anywhere else. So here he is uh, commenting further on the president. Cut 11, go.
3: Going on TV and saying, China, will you investigate uh, my political opponent, uh, is wrong. It's a mistake. Uh, it was shocking, for the, in my opinion, for the president to do so and a mistake for him to do so. I can't imagine coming to a different point of view. We certainly can't have presidents asking foreign countries to provide something of political value. That is, after all, against the law.
0: Hmm. I'm actually not sure what law he's talking about. They're trying to link this into campaign finance, but that is a, that's a real stretch. Now, as to the issue of asking China to investigate... I want to read something to Mr. Romney that you and my audience are well familiar with by now. And I suspect Mr. Romney is too. And I go back to the January 11, 2017 article in Politico. Ukraine efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Kenneth Vogel and David Stern. And again, just cherry picking because I can't read the whole thing. It prints out to uh, 13 pages. Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermined Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away after the election. And they helped Clinton's allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors, a political investigation found. A Ukrainian-American, an operative, who was consulting for the Democratic National Committee, met with top officials in the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, in an effort to expose ties between Trump, top campaign aide Paul Manafort, and Russia, according to people with direct knowledge of the situation. And by the way, the information that they were putting out on Manafort was false, but it caused Manafort to resign. Then later, Yet Politico's investigation found evidence of Ukrainian government involvement in the race that appears to strain diplomatic protocol dictating that governments refrain from engaging in one another's elections. You see, to me, Romney's criticism of Trump might ring true from Romney's perspective if Romney was out there criticizing the Democrats and what they did with Ukraine and the Democrats and what they did with Russia in order to defeat Trump. It might ring true, again, from Romney's perspective, if he was leading the charge against the senior level of the FBI, which has since wiped itself out, Against the senior level of the intelligence agencies, Clapper, Brennan, Power at the UN and others, Susan Rice and the unmasking of Americans. But Romney has been all but silent on all these matters. It might ring true from Romney's perspective if he was encouraging William Barr, the Attorney General, to get to the bottom of these matters. Or U.S. Attorney Durham in Connecticut. But he doesn't. He just attacks Trump. Now the fact is, Trump has not interfered in Joe Biden's campaign. He's not interfered in Joe Biden's campaign. There's an ongoing investigation by the Attorney General and the U.S. Attorney in Connecticut into the 2016 activities of Russia and hopefully also Ukraine. Just as there was an investigation by a special counsel, although it was utterly fraudulent, beginning to end, involving the president. And so Mitt Romney does not criticize what took place against Trump. Mitt Romney does not criticize the fact that senior officials at the FBI put two spies in the Trump campaign. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't upset him. He doesn't comment on it. He doesn't comment on the Democrats and the Hillary campaign. Reaching out to an ex-British spy who reeks out to Russian apparatchiks to put together a phony document that's used in the FISA court, that's used to appoint a special counsel. Not a word from Mitt Romney. No demand for hearings, nothing. And the Ukraine, the Ukrainian government's involvement in the 2016 campaign is laid out by a left-wing site, Politico, a left-wing reporter, Kenneth Vogel, who's since been hired by the New York Times, and David Stern, laying it out on what Ukraine was trying to do and interfere in our election. Not a word from Romney about any of it. The fact that Trump says, you know, China might want to look into this, investigate that too. That, for Romney, is over the top. But none of this is. Because he hasn't commented on it. He hasn't said anything that's certainly not in a, in, a, in a repetitious manner, that demands anything, get to the bottom of it, nothing. If it's not anti-Trump, you don't hear from Romney. So which is worse, the President of the United States saying China might want to investigate this, or the Democrats using Ukraine to interfere actually in the 2016 election? Or the Democrats and Hillary Clinton again, using a foreign British ex-spy and Russian apparatchiks to try and defeat the Republican candidate. I don't know how Romney gets around this, but this is why the media is slobbering all over him. This is why he's getting a spittle shower. There's plenty of evidence Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. That's not a right-wing conspiracy. It's right here in Politico. And nobody, nobody can challenge the reporting here. And nobody wants to follow up on it. So whereas Bill Barr, his second term as Attorney General, sees a real problem with what took place in 2016, Mitt Romney does not. Mitt Romney does not. It's really quite appalling what he's doing, Romney. So this long piece profiling Mitt Romney in the Atlantic, a left-wing site, The Liberation of Mitt Romney by McKay Cobbins, I guess the name is, C-O-P-P-I-N-S, coppins The newly rebellious senator has become an outspoken dissident in Trump's Republican Party just in time for the president's impeachment trial. Mitt Romney's leaning forward in his chair, his eyes flashing, his voice sharp. It's a strange look for the 72-year-old senator who typically affects a measured, somber tone when discussing Donald Trump's various moral deficiencies. But after weeks of escalating combat with the president over Ukraine and China and Syrian impeachment... The gentleman from Utah suddenly appears ready to unload. So he's a gentleman, you see, and Trump has moral deficiencies. I remember when Romney was called a racist. I remember when Romney was called a misogynist. Remember all this, Mr. Producer? I remember when Romney was called heartless, and they brought out a cancer patient and used him on a political ad. I remember all those things about Romney, don't you folks? What set Romney off was my recitation of an argument I've heard some Republicans deploy lately to excuse Trump's behavior. Electing a president, the argument goes, is like hiring a plumber. You don't care about his character, you just want him to get the job done. Sitting in his Senate office, Romney's indignant. Are you worried that your plumber overcharges you, he asks? Are you worried that the plumber's going to scream at your kids? Are you worried that the plumber's going to squeal out, a squeal out of your driveway? I'm playing devil's advocate. He's attempting an exorcism. To Romney, Trump's performance as president is inextricably tangled up in his character. Berating another person or calling them names or demeaning a class of people, not telling the truth. Those are not private things, he says. If during the campaign you pay a porn star $130,000, that now comes into the public domain. At this, Romney glances over at two of his aides who are watching silently from the other end of the room and grins. They're going, oh gosh, shut up. Now Romney happens to be sitting in a Congress in a body where there have been, we don't know how many, non-disclosure agreements paid for by we the taxpayers for sexual harassment claims. Romney's a United States Senator. Has he pushed for the disclosure of the names of those senators and members of the House? Not once. Not once. And these people had to use our tax dollars for their settlements. There's no allegations about the President of the United States, certainly since he's been President of the United States, of any moral turpitude. Nothing. Nothing. I've spent the past several months, he writes, in an ongoing conversation with Romney as he's navigated a Washington that grows more hostile by the day. So this guy's been with Romney for months. Now, he's written about him for nine years, but he's with him for months. Romney has emerged as an outspoken dissident in Trump's Republican Party. In just the past few weeks, he's denounced the president's attempts to solicit dirt on political rivals from foreign governments. as wrong and appalling. When you read that phone conversation, that's not what he did. But that's okay. Romney's not interested in that. And Romney hasn't complained once about the method in which the House of Representatives has been abused, has been misused by the Democrat majority. Nothing. Not a word about due process. Not a word about confronting your accused or the whistleblower. Not a word about the President's counsel sitting in in the secret testimony as they have in the past. Not a word about Republicans having the ability to to subpoena witnesses. Nothing. Romney's not interested in that. Nothing. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing. It'll make you throw up your dinner. Mitt Romney. But it says here, Let's see here. In the meantime, Romney's leading the Republican revolt over the president's recent decision to pull troops out of northern Syria, leaving America's Kurdish allies behind. Look, I disagree with what the president did, but you don't need to lead the charge or lead a revolt. You disagree, you legislate. Nothing's stopping Congress from doing whatever Congress wants to do, so do it. So do it. And amid all the tumult, Romney has come to terms with the fact that there will be little progress on his legislative to do list for the foreseeable future. Oh, we're sorry. But here's one of the parts I wanted to read to you. Let's see. Uh, Romney told me that he does not have an abstract definition of high crimes and misdemeanors, you know, in the Constitution. And that. When it comes to identifying impeachable acts, he follows Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart's famous standard for defining hardcore porn. I'll know it when I see it, he says. Well, this is because Mitt Romney doesn't care to inform himself, to educate himself. He could read Madison's notes. We'll give him somewhat of a hint. But he can even go more deeply. There have been many wonderful books written about this. Scholars have written about it. Dershowitz has a great book about it right now. But there have been others. Others, I've cited them to you. And they talk about British common law, and they talk about how the parliament treated the monarch. And this is where the idea for impeachment came from. And you, when you read Madison's notes, you're going to see, first of all, the framers were very skeptical of impeachment. They weren't sure whether to include it. And then when they included it, and they gave the House the power by a simple majority, they were very specific about the language they used. They didn't put in the Constitution, I'll know it when I see it. They put in the Constitution, treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. And those words have meaning. Not the common meaning of today. Not a misdemeanor like a jaywalk. A misdemeanor was a severe act back then. A severe act. Maladministration was recommended by George Mason. Shot down by James Madison. He said if we use something like maladministration or something amorphous, the President of the United States will be answerable to the House and the Senate. He won't be able to govern. Which is exactly the effort that's going on right now. So when Romney says, I'll know it when I see it, it just shows you how ignorant he is on this subject. This is why I want to interview him, and this is why I suspect he won't want to be interviewed. Asked if he's seen it yet. Romney told me that he'll make up his mind once he hears all the evidence at the trial. At this stage, I'm strenuously avoiding trying to make any judgment. Well, you sound like you have made a judgment. And you haven't criticized the process in the House of Representatives once. And there's a lot to criticize here if you really believe in the Constitution and justice and fairness and the electoral process. You're using platitudes This is a violation of fundamental American honor and so forth, just like the left. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinfrahillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. We have this little issue of Pierre Delecto the money he was saying what the hell is Pierre Delecto this is a fictional name Mitt Romney gave himself and he would go on Twitter under this fake name Pierre Delecto and defend himself in the third person right Mr. Producer so he'd come under attack and he would literally defend himself in the third person now a couple things here. Doesn't that tell you the guy like has a loose screw maybe? A loose screw. I mean, you go on there. Aren't you a big boy? I mean, aren't you like older than 14 years old? If you want to go online and defend yourself, go online and defend yourself. But you're a United States Senator. Pierre Delecto. For now on, Willard Mitt Romney on this program is Pierre Delecto, if I can remember the name, Mr. Producer. And notice he picks a French name. Much in line with his philosophy, such as it is. Yes, he's a French Republican. Pierre D'Electo, French Republican. He throws in. Throws in with the Democrats. Who want to massively increase our taxes? who want open borders, who want to turn the Constitution inside out, who want to get rid of the Electoral College, who will, as they always do, eviscerate our military, eviscerate law enforcement. But that's okay for Pierre D'Electo. He doesn't like Trump. More when I return.
3: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
0: There was big news made on life liberty and levin last night on the Fox News channel big news. And there's not a single newsroom in America that's carried it. Not one. Senator Ron Johnson is a Republican from Wisconsin. Among his duties, he's he's chairman of the House government uh, excuse me the Senate government reform committee and homeland security. He's also subcommittee chairman of a committee on foreign relations that oversees, among other things, our relations with Ukraine. And he's been involved with that country and that government for some time in a very significant and substantive way. The May 20th meeting is the meeting that Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney has been talking about what took place in that meeting, the discussion that took place with the president and several others who were in that meeting. And this is where the Democrats, the media, Mitt Romney say, well, look, they've confessed to a quid pro quo. Now, I've dealt with this extensively. That even if the president said, and he said he didn't say it, but even if the president said, among other things, I want Ukraine to assist my Attorney General and the U.S. Attorney who's been assigned here in the investigation of what took place in 2016, that's not a quid pro quo. Because that's an ongoing investigation, and we need the assistance of these foreign governments. Maybe Mitt Romney doesn't understand this, because he has absolutely no foreign policy experience. And he's a chameleon. Ron Johnson sat in on that meeting. He was one of the people who asked for the meeting with the President of the United States. Ron Johnson is a material fact witness in what, on what took place in that meeting. What took place in that meeting? And I want to play some of this for you. We have the right sound bites, don't we, Rich? I hope. Let's go to cut 17. Go. Now, we have this document that came out, the president's phone call, a transcript of it with the president of Ukraine back in uh, July. And people are trying to, Democrats in the media in particular, say that the president was seeking a quid pro quo. I don't read this in here. You have some background on this. You had a meeting with the president and others in May of this year. You want to tell us about
1: it? Sure. Well, again, and just on that transcript, I, I, I read that, and I think it's a pretty gracious phone call by, on the part of the president, but I went to Ukraine in, in May of, on May 20th to attend the uh, inauguration of President Zelensky. I went there with uh, Secretary Perry, Gordon Solnland, who is the uh, ambassador to the uh, European U- Union, and Kurt Volker, who is a special envoy to Ukraine. So the four of us were pretty much that, that delegation. Uh, we felt it was important coming back. Uh, we were pretty impressed with Zelensky. We thought it was important to meet with the president and, and really get him uh, supportive of, of Ukraine. And so we had a meeting in the Oval Office on, on May 23rd of this year. Of this year. And again, just making that point, we, we really had a couple of asks. I mean, invite Zelensky to the Oval Office as quickly as possible to show support and appoint an ambassador that could get strong bipartisan support. Again, we just really were encouraging the president to show strong support for the people of Ukraine. Um, we were I was certainly surprised at the president's reaction, which has been consistent throughout this. Now, first of all, he talked about the level of corruption in Ukraine. And, and Mark, there's all kinds of spoke, smoke about Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC being involved in the 2016 election. But, th- again, that's just that's specific, but just general. Uh, president Zelensky got a mandate from the Ukrainian people, 73%, to end the corruption in Ukraine. So it's, it's obvious Ukraine's a corrupt place, and any president ought to be asking a pretty hard question. Is this a place where... You know, we, we really ought to be providing a lot of support to. And then secondly, and he's been very consistent on this, uh, why isn't Europe stepping on the plate? You know, why aren't they showing the kind of support? Uh, so th- those were two main reasons. And so I think the four of us left that meeting realizing uh, we've got a sales job to do. Uh, you know, we, we all supported Ukraine. We wanted to make sure the president was supportive of it. And that was the first start of certainly my knowledge of, of the fact that President Trump had some real reservations about uh, p- providing full support for Ukraine.
0: All right. Any word about a quid pro quo? Not one. He was concerned it was corrupt. And he was concerned that Europe wasn't assisting. This is what the president does with all this foreign aid, quite frankly. Cut 18, go. I think it's crucial. I just want to underscore the point. In May, he says, look, I'm concerned it's corrupt over there and why doesn't Europe step up and give them support? You talked to him on August 31st. He He's basically the same thing. I already told you, Ron, he says, they're corrupt over there. Where the hell's Merkel in Germany? Let them provide him with support. Never discussed with you any kind of quid pro quo. Is that correct?
1: Correct. I- I'm the one that raised the issue from my phone call Gordon Sondland. Again, I wasn't quite sure what was in the works, so it's all rather nebulous, but you know, I-, I described it enough where He
0: got ticked off. I mean, he did not like hearing that, and he vehemently denied it. And it wasn't until, my recollection is, September 9th, give or take, it could have even been later, that we begin to learn about this so-called whistleblower. There are leaks coming out of Capitol Hill that a document is sent to them on the 9th and the Intelligence Committee, according to the timeline. So it's not the president coming up with an after-the-fact explanation for what took place. It's the President of the United States doing exactly what the President has said since, which is, no, 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 they got the support, but I needed to make sure they weren't going to basically, you know, run away with the money. They weren't going to abuse the, the, the money. And also, we wanted support from other allies. By Same the way,
1: th- th- there, there is a fair record of U.S. support uh, getting wasted in Ukraine, just... Going to banks and not anybody knowing where that ever goes to. So, that, again, there's, there's, a, there's a history of this. And there's, there's no dispute that there's a lot of corruption in Ukraine. So it's a, it's a legitimate concern the president had. And he was consistent in expressing that
0: concern. There's, there's the headline. Ron Johnson sat in on the meeting and was involved in an August 31 phone call with the president as well. Ron Johnson sits on the meeting. It's May 23rd of this year. <clears throat> called at his and the request of others, because they hear the president's concerned about corruption in Ukraine and he doesn't want to just hand him the money. And he's concerned that Europe, particularly Germany, is not helping them. That's it. August 31, Ron Johnson calls him, says, is there some kind of deal in the works? I mean, uh, anything going on? The president is furious, says, no, there's no deal in the works. Raises the same two legitimate concerns. It's been a corrupt country. I don't want to blow taxpayer dollars there. And where the hell are the Europeans in Germany? How come there's not a single newsroom in the country? I don't care what cable channel you look at. Not a single newsroom in the country that's picked up on this. Last week we had over 1.6 million viewers for a Sunday show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. It's unheard of. So why why would the media ignore this? I don't care what cable channel you're talking about. Not a single so-called reporter or newsroom has picked up on what Ron Johnson said. Not one. He was in the meeting. He had first-hand knowledge. He's not a second-hand knowledge whistleblower. His name is attached to it. He sang what took place. He saying what took place in the August 31 phone call. And it all exonerates the president, to use a Mueller word. That's why the media are ignoring it. They'd rather beat up on Mick Mulvaney, that's why. And what Mick Mulvaney said, in my view, is not a problem, it just happens to be inaccurate. But if it was accurate, so What? But he's tried to walk it back. He probably got his meetings and discussions confused. That's okay. But here you have a United States Senator who says, What took place in the meeting? First hand knowledge. And what took place in a phone call? First hand knowledge. A United States Senator who two weeks earlier was on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, and Chuck Todd kept cutting him off. Chuck Todd didn't want to hear which is exactly why I invited him on my show. Mitt Romney doesn't want to hear this. The President of the United States didn't squeeze anybody. He didn't pressure anybody. The absurd attempt to take that uh, transcribed phone call, such as it is, and move words around tells you all you need to know about the media. and there is an ongoing 2016 investigation so everything's public nothing's new nothing's corrupt nothing's untoward the law wasn't broken nothing more ron johnson cut 20 go
1: mark you know i'm from the private sector you know once i enter the public realm what has really been reinforced to me because i you know i listen to you i listen to rush i'm you know i'm fan um, I've always known the bias in the media, but what I've really, what's been really, really reinforced to me is the bias in the media is, is revealed far more in what they don't report, what they're not curious about, versus the very overt and, and real bias in what they do report. So, so his really point
0: is underscored even now. They didn't report what he said on my program, and they haven't asked the man who was in the meeting and who made the phone call a few months later. He's telling you there was no quid pro quo. None. None. But they don't want to hear from the United States Senator from Wisconsin, do they? Go ahead.
1: If they're not curious about something, if they're not reporting it, it's not a news story. And that's what drives conservatives. That's what drives me. It drives you. It drives President uh, Trump
0: nuts. Mm -hmm. Now, You've uh, been looking into this Ukraine matter for a long time, long before the last month or two. Um, Was Ukraine involved in the 2016 campaign? On whose side and how?
1: Well, again, this is according to Politico. Uh, Chuck Grassley and I have an oversight letter in referring to that article. It was written by Ken Vogel, who now works for The New York Times. And again, he's talking about the potential of the Hillary Clinton campaign the DNC involvement working with potentially corrupt actors in Ukraine trying to dig up dirt on president trump or candidate trump at that point in time paul manafort but you know it's also very possible and people don't really realize this as well but you know hillary clinton had a primary uh, there was one joe biden potentially getting into that race as well uh, is it just possible or plausible that maybe the DNC, maybe Hillary Clinton campaign was also trying to dig up dirt on on Joe Biden back then in Ukraine. So no, there are are so many questions. I'm I'm really not throwing out any accusations. I'm not making any allegations. I'm just saying there's so many questions that remain unanswered and they really remain unanswered because by and large, the press has no curiosity about trying to get the answers to these things.
0: And he's talking about that Politico article from two and a half years ago. Tell me, how many newsrooms have referenced that? None. Tell me, if I didn't talk to you about it on the radio and on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, you wouldn't even know about that article. It's a long, detailed article with names, investigative reporting by left-wing reporters who talk about Ukraine interfering in our election to sabotage the Trump campaign on behalf of Hillary Clinton. And nobody reads from it but me. And of course, the media have dropped it. They don't want to look at it. Mitt Romney doesn't want to look at it. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. You know, in the end, politicians are about survival and power. It's what they're about. They'll turn on their friends, they'll stab them in the back in a second. Most of them are not statesmen. That's why I'm a constitutionalist. The least, the least amount of power in the hands of government, the better. And the more local, the better. Not perfect, not even good, but better. And then finally... Ron Johnson was cut off by Chuck Todd, and I asked him about this. Cut 19, go.
1: Chuck Todd cut me off when I started talking about the December 15th, 2016 text from Peter Strzok to Lisa Page. You know,
0: paraphr- I'm not going to cut you off. You go Okay. Uh, can uh, I quote it? I yeah, happen to have. yeah, go ahead. I think you've got that. December 15th, 2016, text from Peter Strzok to Lisa Page. Quote, think our sisters would be the CIA intelligence agencies have begun leaking like mad scorned and worried and political they're kicking into
1: overdrive again this is during the transition a little bit more than a month after the election uh, six days before that is the first story that breaks. CIA and CIA has
0: actually attributed this leak. The story is December 9, 2016, Boston Globe Washington Post headline CIA Russia tried to help Trump win. The CIA has concluded in a secret assessment that Russia intervened in the 2016 election to help Donald Trump win the presidency.
1: Is that what you 're talking about? precisely you no know, Mark, one of the things I had my staff do this was uh, I think July of 2017. We issued a report because uh, of all these leaks. And so I had a a, a seasoned uh, reporter on my staff from the Washington Post, one of the few conservatives, and uh, you know we we looked with Alexa Search. Let's let's take a look at all these news stories that, that are talking about a leak, and in that this document here, yes, in just 125 days, 126 days, there were 125 leaks, you know, into the news media. 62 of those had to do with national security, and that compares to, in the same time period, nine in the Bush administration and eight under Obama. 62 national security leaks, and this is where this this whole narrative began back in December, with with Trump, you know, the campaign being aided by Russia, and then finally turning into Trump colluded with Russia. To steal the election from Hillary Clinton and, and that's resulted in a special counsel and has done great damage I would argue to this democracy you think the FBI and the CIA set up this president don't you I have my suspicions let's put it that way and again when you've got Peter Strzok texting Lisa Page about his sisters are leaking like mad what are they worried about he talks about them being political You're kicking it overdrive. And that's all I asked Chuck Todd. I said, hey, you got John Brennan on your show. Why don't you ask him what he was leaking or what the CIA might have been leaking? What what was he potentially worried about? Chuck didn't ask John Brennan that, that question at all. But I'd like to ask that question, John Brennan.
0: Chuck Todd kept cutting him off because Chuck Todd is not a journalist. He's no Tim Russert. He's a hack. His wife's a Democrat hack. He's a Democrat hack. He's got an IQ of a kumquat. Actually, a kumquat is smarter, I hear. So he cuts off the United States senator because the United States senator is going where Chuck doesn't want to go. That's not the narrative. That's not what Andrew Lack told him to say, the head of NBC News. That's not what uh, Jeffrey Motherzucker over there at CNN wants anyone to hear. They've got their narrative. They want to push it. Quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. Well, we're going to make the, like there was a quid pro quo. And then, of course, he's saying the CIA leaked. The FBI leaked. They set up this president. If he's not saying it, I'm saying it. That's exactly what they did. Ukraine and Russia. I'll be right back.
3: Conservative Fire, The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811.
0: You know, I've been telling you about Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats' plan to socialize medicine and how they would impose government cost controls at the expense of high-quality health care. To put it another way, Pelosi's bill may prevent you and your family from... ...from having access to the latest and most effective drug therapies available anywhere. In fact, according to the CBO, that's the Congressional Budget Office... ...which scores proposed legislation like the Pelosi plan... ...new breakthrough medicines may never be discovered at all. They project that the Pelosi plan will reduce research and development investments... ...towards new treatments and cures. Now, why are we not surprised... Because when you impose drug price controls and then punish private innovators with massive 95% retroactive tax penalties, you eliminate the financial ability to invest in critically needed research and development. And with it, the incentives to discover new treatments for cancer, new cures for other crushing diseases. If Nancy Pelosi told you to work at a government dictated salary, far lower than you've even cost of living, and then pay 95% of it in new taxes, would you run out and buy a new car? No, you'd go broke. Folks, get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com, truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. Mr. Producer, my connection for the call screen is not working. Do we have an irregular American or a regular American? Mark, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go.
4: How are you, Mark. Okay. I'm a regular American. Good. Mark, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I noticed that Mitt Romney, when he was running for the Senate, specifically requested the endorsement of Donald Trump.
0: Yes, he did.
4: And the only thing I can conclude now is that he did it to trick the voters of Utah, because immediately upon becoming a senator, he turned against Trump and all of his policies. So it, it looks to me like a very cynical trick against the voters of Utah.
0: Yes, that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. He you lied know, to the voters of Utah.
4: That's exactly right. I voted for him for president. I would never vote for him if I ever had the opportunity again for dog catcher.
0: Well, some guy at the Washington Examiner, when I said that, said, well, what would you have done? Would you have voted for Obama? No, I would have written somebody in, probably.
4: I'm just saying if the situation ever can't, You can-
0: can't have a Benedict Arnold as president of the United States. That's another disaster.
4: I think it's one of the worst traits you could have in anybody, someone who's so disloyal like that.
0: Yeah, it's not even a matter of disagreeing here and there on policy. It's somebody, you know, the funny thing is Mitt Romney wants to talk about character. Let me ask you, sir, what kind of character do you think Mitt Romney has right now?
4: I think terrible. I also noticed that he said uh, when he talked about Trump and his character, he said he has some good character points and some bad. Well, that could easily be said for Biden. Look at the things with the plagiarism and all these other things that Biden has done. He didn't say that about Biden, though.
0: No, he he went all negative on Trump. Trump's done a lot of wonderful things. How come he didn't mention those?
4: Exactly right. Exactly. It's like he's an undercover person from the left. That's what it amounts to.
0: Well, no, what it amounts to is he's a guy who wants power and wants a legacy. And the way he can get it, he thinks, is to be the anti-Trump.
4: I think he's ruining his legacy.
0: Well, he won't ruin it with the press. He's building it with the press. He figures figures they write the history books.
4: It's easy to do, though, with the press.
0: But the press, when they're done with him, you know, they'll roll them up and spit them out. All right, my friend. Thank you. Mr. Producer, why don't you guys uh, reload your uh, call screen because I can't get in. All right. Who do we have? WCHM, Tom in Georgia. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, Before I get to
5: my point, I would just like to thank you. Uh, because I don't know, without you and your colleagues, but you in particular uh, on talk radio, and I don't know, without Trump in the White House, where this co- Well, I do know where this country would be, and it wouldn't be in a good place.
0: Now, I agree with you, and you know, this is why I backed him strongly in the general election, encouraged my audience to support him, and we're going to do that again.
5: Okay, so if I could uh, make my point, which is just a brief sketch from a letter to Mitt. Unlike you, Mitt, Trump has placed his life, his family, his fortune, and his reputation on the line. What have you done, Mr. Romney, to retake any of the ground ceded to the amoral, un-American control freaks who want to divide, weaken, and conquer America? You seem more interested in sanctimonious criticism of the president than in defeating the enemies of our country. Are you afraid to stand up for America because you might actually risk losing something of value or your station within the political establishment that you were born into? Or is it because that you believe in politics, style is more important than substance? What's that about, Mitt? Is it jealousy, insecurity? Well, it's not about you. It's about the survival of America.
0: That's an excellent letter. And I like your point early on about amoral. He likes to talk about morality. Is it really moral to try and take down an elected president and to clear the path for one of these Democrats who's running for president? I mean, I I shudder to think if one of these Democrats gets elected president, we'll never get our country back, ever. You have people who are talking about eliminating the Electoral College, eliminating ICE and the Border Patrol. You have people talking about basically opening up our prisons, eviscerating our military, uh, eliminating our our, our borders, who would stuff liberal activists on our courts, including the Supreme Court, who are anti-law enforcement. I mean, you have to be a rational human being and take a measure of events that are taking place today and and compare one to the other or, or one group of events to another group of events and how you can conclude... As the nominee of the Republican Party in 2012, how you can conclude that it's more important to remove our sitting president than to prevent one of the others from getting elected is beyond me, other than it is a personal effort like the rest of these never-Trumpers.
5: Well, Mark, you're absolutely right, and if I can just quickly read the conclusion to the letter— Why don't you go visit that climate change hypocrite, B.O., at his new $15 million beachfront estate on Martha's Vineyard before the sea level, prompted by global warming, rises and destroys it? Ha, ha, ha. Then please stay there with your fellow elites and leave us regular folks the hell alone.
0: And by the way, Romney has multiple homes, too, and I don't begrudge it. But uh, now, now he's a climate change warrior. This is what I mean. He's not a serious thinker. He's not a substantive thinker. He has his wet finger in the wind, and that's where he's going. Climate change. The media like climate change. He likes climate change. All right, my friend. I appreciate it. Bill, Eagle Mountain, Utah, on XM Satellite. How are you, sir?
2: I'm good. How are you, Mark?
0: All right, my friend. I
2: I voted for Mitt Romney, kind of like held my nose to him. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling li- living here in Utah and listening to a bunch of the Utahans, I'm a local truck driver. Uh, he's not going to make a second term. He's going to be one of the first Utah senators that's not going to be reelected.
0: Well, is that true? Because you know Utah's very Republican, and you got a lot of establishment Republicans, and the Romney name is a big deal there.
2: Oh, well, it is, and but he had to get. I think he had to get Trump's endorsement to get elected. He didn't follow. I mean, look at Mia Love. Mm-hmm. I voted for Mia Love, but she turned against Trump, and she barely lost to McAdams, and he's a disaster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I think that with Romney turning against Trump, I think he's going to, especially if he goes uh, goes for impeachment, he's not going to make it.
0: But he's going to view himself as a historic figure, you see. He can retire, he can, uh, he can live the, uh, the life of a very wealthy man, and he'll view himself as a historic figure. He'll be remembered. See, most candidates who run for office and lose, even the presidency, are not remembered. He can be remembered as the one voter or as the leader of the opposition to Trump in the Senate to bring civility back to the country, don't you know? If Mitt Romney were a serious, substantive person, He'd be speaking out about what's happening in the House of Representatives, whether he likes Trump or not. He'd be talking about how you protect the sanctity of the United States Senate as an institution by quickly acting quickly acting against whatever the House sends over there. But he doesn't talk that way. And by the way, there is an effort afoot to influence the Chief Justice of the United States because the left in academia, particularly in law schools, professors, they are well aware... That John Roberts is a politician, and John Roberts reads his PR, and I'm going to talk about this in the third hour, Bill, where there's an effort by a uh, Bruce Ackerman, who's who's always been a hardcore leftist, uh, who was a may still be a professor at Yale, uh, and uh, how they how they're pressing Roberts that he can't let Mitch McConnell and the Republicans derail the Trump impeachment trial. He, after all, is the chief justice, and he's in charge of that trial. I will read you some of what he says, and I will counter it in the next hour. So you won't want to miss that. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate your call. Mike, Palm Springs, California, the great KNWZ. Go. Yes, I was just thinking uh, if we could settle this whole thing around, he could settle it very nicely. If he switched his allegiance, became a Democrat, then he could run, for, I run in the Democrat ticket. And he could debate Trump. Wouldn't that be something? Guys like this never do that. They burn the house down from within. Yeah, I'm I have another idea. If he really thinks Trump's that bad and he could beat Trump, stop hiding behind the name Pierre D'Electo. Stop hiding behind leaks to the media. Stop hiding behind interviews to the media. And go ahead and take Trump on in the Republican primary. Let's see how well he does. Oh, that would be wonderful. Too. Wouldn't that yeah. be great? That would be fantastic, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but it's easier for him now, you see, just to shoot spitballs. So, uh, all right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark lovin'. Well, there was, in effect, a procedural vote in the House of Representatives just now to censure, effectively, Adam Schiff. And as you can imagine, it lost, but it was 218 to 185. So it wasn't that far off. But the Republicans wanted to censure Schiff. The individual bringing up the uh, sponsoring this was uh, uh, Biggs, along with the uh, Republican leader and the Republican deputy. That is McCarthy and Scalise, along with also uh, Liz Cheney. I think the Republican leadership in the House is looking better and better to me. Nobody's been a bigger critic than I. But McCarthy's really starting to step up. As long as he keeps stepping up, uh, we'll keep giving him credit. Because uh, the Democrats in the House are really a a collection of reprobates. And if he's going to stand up to them, that's fine by me. He gets all the credit in the world. And more and more, that's exactly what they're doing. The Senate is another issue, but they have a problem. They have independent actors like Romney, and we're keeping an eye out for the others, too. All right. You know, I talk and write a lot about how the radical progressives took over our college campuses, trained an army of social justice warriors to destroy our country. I want to tell you about a fantastic group that's doing something about it. Charlie Kirk, you've seen Charlie Kirk on Life, Liberty, and Levin. You've seen him on Fox. You've seen him elsewhere. This guy is smart. And he is a patriot. And he's an entrepreneur when it comes to politics. And Charlie Kirk and his team at Turning Point USA have created a conservative grassroots force that's active on 1,400 campuses and over 200,000 students. And they host training conferences for female, African-American, and Hispanic students, including an annual summit for 15,000 student leaders. This is why I'm urging you to help Turning Point USA. Because they're training an army of our own conservative campus fighters. And this is where the battle must be fought. And how many times have you called me or said to me, What can we do, Mark? What can we do? Well, here's somebody who's doing something about it. And they need your support to keep up this very important work. Here's what I want to strongly encourage you to do. Take a look. Go to markforturningpoint.com. Please do it right now so you don't forget. markforturningpoint.com. And I love Turning Point because they play offense. They play to win. So go to mark turning, uh, markforturningpoint.com. I apologize. Mark. TurningPoint.com, just jot it down markforturningpoint.com help them take the fight to the campus radicals and you'll be able to see the ways in which you can help them there are others who have already committed to double your efforts that's right your support will be doubled so please go to markforturningpoint.com take a look at their site that's markforturningpoint.com now folks these are young people these are the people we say, why do they go socialist? Why do they back the left? These are young people who need our help, need our support. They're taking the battle into the college campuses, into these universities, into the classrooms. And Charlie Kirk is terrific. You've seen him. That's Mark for TurningPoint.com. Mark for All you Levinites out there, I'm encouraging you strongly to, to jump in, please. Take a look at that site. Eileen, Verona, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go.
6: Yeah, I only have one statement, Mark. How are you yes. doing tonight?
0: Very well, thank you.
6: Okay. I call these politicians like Romney and Lindsey Graham weather vane politicians. They're always spouting their opinions from a different political view, just like whatever direction the wind blows. Mm-hmm. That, that's the way I consider them.
0: All right. I appreciate it. Carla? Is it Killen, Alabama, Sirius Satellite, or Kyleen?
6: Uh it's killing
0: I was right. Killin'. I messed up the yeah. second time. Go right ahead.
6: How you doing, Mark?
0: All right, thank you. Where what is that near? What what bigger town is that close to?
6: Uh we're in north I'm in a uh, north uh the north corner up towards Hun- Huntsville.
0: Huntsville, okay, great. Yep.
6: Yes, sir. Um I was just thinking uh, Mitt Romney. uh, I don't really know a lot about him. Of course, I voted for him in 2012. But, you know, I really believe that he enjoys um, all the, uh, you know, what President Trump is going through Mm -hmm. um, with this impeachment. He seems to be
0: taking a lot of fun enjoying it, doesn't he?
6: Yes. Uh, It's really sad. And I know it's like, I think he ran for Senate, just, I mean, I, I know that he's just like a disgruntled employee, mm-hmm. you know, just going against him, right?
0: Except when he wanted his help. When he ran exactly. for, in 2012, he went all the way up to Trump Tower to get Trump support. He runs for the Senate, he wants Trump support, and he comes into Washington and immediately turns on him. That That tells me, you know, he wants to talk about character. You have no character at all when you conduct yourself that way.
6: Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, I just I really feel bad for this president. He just goes through so much. I don't know how he does it, but um I I've
0: told him that to his face. I've said, you know, there's very few people. I don't know of any who could deal with what you have to deal with every single day. Every single day it's something. Yeah. You know, he, he got elected. He wanted to do to well by the country as best as he could. He put aside his businesses. He's right when he says today, I could have made billions more. I put it aside. I ran for, for office. Nobody expected him to win. He won. And from day one, they're just trying to destroy the man. Now, the Democrats and the media, that's bad enough. But when you have a few of these Republicans, I mean, that to me is like over the top. Thank you for your call very much. We'll be right back.
3: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
0: Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way, we want to wish Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu a happy 70th birthday. And today he gave up the effort to try and form a government. Too many idiots who have left Likud and joined others. And now it'll be up to Gantz to see if he can form a government. And he may well try to form a government with the Arab parties. And you might say, what's wrong with that, Mark? Diversity. Because these particular Arab parties do not believe in the existence of the state of Israel. See the difference between Israel and some of these surrounding entities and countries. So, there's an effort underway now. Kind of under the radar, unless you follow these things an effort underway to try and influence the Chief Justice of the United States to take a more aggressive role should the House of Representatives vote for impeachment and should the Republicans show some courage and effectively dismiss it in one form or another. And of course, Slate is a, a left-wing kook site, and the individual who writes this is a ultra-leftist, Yelly, by the name of Bruce Ackerman, been around a long time. I, I even quote him in Liberty and Tyranny. His bizarre view of the Constitution, in my view. And the headline in the story is intended to get John Roberts' attention. Now you need to understand that, that Roberts keeps track of his press too. He's a very political person. It says, John Roberts won't let Mitch McConnell derail a Trump impeachment trial. Then he goes on. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported on a closed-door session among Senate Republicans discussing the way they should conduct a trial President Trump is impeached by the House. According to at least one senator, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell indicated he's aiming for a rapid process that might start around Thanksgiving and end by Christmas. There are many reasons, though, to think that such a rush to judgment will fail. The Constitution explicitly states that the Chief Justice, in this case John Roberts, shall preside, quote-unquote, over presidential impeachment trials. So, the rules of the Senate. Now, isn't that interesting? So, the Senate makes the rules. You know, when you have a judge, a judge doesn't make the rules. There are rules of civil procedure and rules for evidence and all kinds of rules that a judge must comply with, too. In this case, the Senate makes the rules. The rules of the Senate, moreover, require McConnell to take his command seriously in order to prevent the vice president, who formally presides over the Senate, From refusing to allow the Chief Justice to play his constitutional role, the Senate rules governing impeachment require the Vice President to swear in the Chief Justice immediately after the House's charges are announced on the floor. That's not why that happens. It's just a procedure. The rules then explicitly empower the Chief Justice to, quote, direct all the forms of proceedings, unquote, during the trial. The Senate, in contrast, is granted, quote, power to enforce obedience to all these rulings. Ladies and gentlemen, none of what I just cited you is in the Constitution. It's the rules that the Senate has passed, the rules that can be changed. The separation of powers between the Chief Justice and the Senate was that the center of public attention at the country prepared itself for the impeachment trial of President Andrew Johnson, which began on March 4, 1868. At that time, the Senate approved the rules that were later codified and remain in force today. As the New York Times reported on March 3, 1868, Senator George Williams of Oregon argued that the intention of the Constitution was to empower the Chief Justice to decide questions as he would in any court as its presiding officer. Now, by the way, notice this clown doesn't discuss any of the history involving the House of Representatives and how it's supposed to proceed. And this is a sleight of hand. the reason Ackerman Bruce Ackerman ignores what the House of Representatives is doing is because he can't defend it. And so in response to a rogue Democrat party which is using the House and the impeachment clause to try and remove a president or to dirty him up before a general election, Ackerman ignores all that, but in response a Senate is not required to, to stick with the rules that it has put in place. The Senate can change the rules or use the rules to its advantage, so it doesn't give its okay or its imprimatur to what the House has done. None of that is mentioned by Ackerman, of course. At that time, the Senate approved the rules that were later codified and remain in force today, as the New York Times reported on March 3, 1868. Senator George Williams of Oregon argued that the intention of the Constitution was to empower the Chief Justice to decide questions, as he would in any court, as to its presiding officer. To do otherwise would be to act with a sort of jealousy and make him a sort of head figure. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have read the transcript many years ago during the Clinton impeachment of what took place in the Senate. George Williams is one of multiple senators who spoke at the time. He's not an authority for anything. This is called cherry-picking history. Senator John Sherman of Ohio agreed that the usage of all bodies is to submit such questions to the presiding officer. And yet Justice Rehnquist, interestingly enough, tried to remove himself from most substantive decisions and left it up to the Senate. Because the power to hold a trial belongs to the Senate. The William-Sherman Accord was significant, he writes. Williams was a leader of the moderate wing of the Republican Party, while Sherman was a leading radical." there was any chance of convicting Johnson, both wings of the Republican Party had to agree on the rules regulating its unprecedented exercise of the impeachment power. Of course, Johnson was ultimately acquitted by a single vote. It's more than that. And he doesn't mention that either. There were 11 charges brought, 11 impeachment charges brought against Andrew Johnson. They tried him on three. They tried him on three and they failed. Then they took a recess. They adjourned. The other eight, they never tried them again. So here we have an academician who intentionally leaves information out. What happened to those other eight charges? What did the Chief Justice do back then? Did he demand that the Senate meet and finish its its trial with the other eight charges? No. That was it. That was the end of it. The current rules are not written in stone, he points out. The existing Senate could change them before the trial begins, but it is unlikely, to say the least, that McConnell can gain the majority support required for a revision. So he admits that the rules can be changed, just as Pelosi has, on her own, decided that the full House will not take a vote on impeachment inquiry, as they did during Nixon, as they did during Clinton, as they did with Johnson, as a matter of fact. This he's not troubled with. Because all Democrats would oppose this move, only three Republican defections would stop the majority leader in his tracks. From his public statements, it's already clear that Mitt Romney would never go along. Keep this in mind, folks. Similarly, Senator Susan Collins has already said that senators should refuse to voice any opinions on the current battle between the House and the president, since they will be jurors, quote-unquote, during the trial. On Friday, Senator Lisa Murkowski also expressed disapproval of some of the president's reported actions. So this guy's trying to press them, trying to humiliate them if they don't go for it as he he insists. Given these positions, it's implausible to suppose that these three senators would support any rule change that, in Williams' words, would make the chief justice into a figurehead for blatant partisan politics. This is a spin doctor, this guy. The blatant partisan politics is already taking place. You see how they move? This is a political process. No, this is a serious trial. No, no, no. It's political in the House, but a serious trial in the Senate. This is how a left-wing kook in academia conducts himself and writes. There are ways of circumventing these basic rules of the road. One provision authorizes a majority of the Senate vote to overturn a ruling of the presiding officer on evidentiary matters. I've talked about that. It's the nuclear option. This guy's responding to me. That's basically what's happening. Yet it seems highly unlikely that McConnell could persuade one of the three skeptics to join the rest of the Republican caucus in rebuking the Republican-appointed Chief Justice in such a humiliating fashion. It has nothing to do with the Republican-appointed Chief Justice. It has everything to do with the rogue Democrats in the House. The Senate rules also allow a majority to make all lawful orders, rules, and regulations, which it may deem essential or conductive to the ends of justice. Some commentators have suggested McConnell could invoke this provision, To require a final Senate vote by a specific date. Again, it seems almost certain that at least three Republican senators would defect to prevent such a partisan power play. This is what he's hoping. This is what he's lobbying for. This is why he's written it. The country will be facing a moment of truth when the time comes for a final Senate vote. No, the country's facing a moment of truth now, egghead. Given his deep commitment to professionalism, John Roberts can be counted on to deflect any behind-the-scenes pressures for speed. These inclinations would be reinforced by the recent controversy surrounding the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh. Everybody remembers McConnell ramming the nomination through without a full investigation of multiple allegations of misconduct. Roberts cannot allow the same hardball tactics to repeat themselves. Moreover, the reconstituted Robert Court is giving every indication it will be beginning an assault on this term on Roe v. Wade and other fundamental precedents of the last half century. Given the heated controversies that will be generated by these decisions, he's writing to the Chief Justice now. The Chief Justice will be even more reluctant to waste his political capital by enabling a partisan rush to judgment on Trump. I thought this was supposed to be like a courtroom, and now all of a sudden the Chief Justice is wasting his political capital. You notice Follow the bouncing liberal ball. The trial itself would necessarily be a multi-stage affair. He wants it to drag on into the general election. Peachman managers for the House, acting essentially as prosecutors, would present their case to the Senate and the nation in an organized fashion over a couple of weeks. Chief Justice would then provide White House defense counsel with an equal opportunity to rebut the charges. The House managers would respond. The President's lawyers would then reply. And the Senate would vote after another pause for serious deliberation. All this means the country will be facing a moment of truth. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't worry about the country now. The country would like to know what's going on in these secret hearings, these secret testimony that's taking place. But this guy, Bruce Ackerman, has no problem with it whatsoever. None. Just come up with your charges, spit them into the Senate. We demand that the Senate follow the old rules. But what about the House? Forget about the House, it's the Senate. We have no idea yet how compelling the evidence emerging from the Ukraine investigation will turn out to be or what other high crimes and misdemeanors will ultimately gain House support, Given the not House support, Democrat support, given the length and complexity of the potential charges, the entire process, including preparation time, could last for months, ladies and gentlemen, months, right into the general election. We need a trial that goes on for months right into next summer. How long will it take? Johnson's lasted 10 months. Excuse me. Bill Clinton's lasted four weeks. Johnson's lasted 10 weeks. How long will Donald Trump's take? Your guess is as good as mine, he says, but perhaps public opinion will swing decisively against the president after a series of dramatic presentations between House managers and presidential defenders, leading many staunch Republicans to abandon Trump and provide the two-thirds majority required for conviction This is clearly the scenario leading McConnell to his rush to judgment. No, it's not, you idiot. He sees this for the corrupt process that it is. Like your corrupt college. Like your... All right, whatever. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Here's what you have to keep in mind. President Trump is operating really in a post-constitutional system in many respects. If the constitutional system were working as it's supposed to work, he wouldn't be in the position he's in that is facing what he's facing right now. No way. And so we've had decade after decade after decade of abuse of our constitutional system, we are increasingly unmoored from our constitutional system. They build up the chief justice like he's some remarkable, noble, wise man. King Solomon, if you will. He's nothing of the sort. He proved that in the Obamacare case. He proved that in the citizenship case. He's highly political. I think he's one of the most political chief justices I'm aware of in studying the court over the decades. There have been others. But he's not a strict constitutionalist that's a fact. He's very worried about his legacy as a chief justice, the court's legacy with him as a chief justice and he knows in the end from his perspective, his legacy will be determined by the New York Times and this is the trap for most of these justices There's a handful who who are strong and with you know withstand the uh, the political Allure, if you will, of positive media coverage. So the President of the United States is operating within this establishment structure. Not necessarily constitutional structure, the establishment structure. And when you listen to somebody like this Bruce Ackerman, you can see how they play the game. They think what the House is doing is absolutely swell. They can do whatever they want in the House. Whatever they want. Now, in the Senate, you got to follow the rules. The House, no rules. Well, what about the traditions and the processes in and the and the Nixon case? And the, no, no rules. The Constitution doesn't say anything about rules. Well, the Constitution doesn't say anything about Senate rules either. But they must follow the Senate rules, don't you know? Oh, yes. Must be dragged out for a long, long time. But Ackerman gives it up, you see. He's not very good at what he does. Propaganda, in my opinion. Ackerman gives it up. What am I talking about? They want this to drag on as long as possible. This is a really big turd they're throwing into the swimming pool, you see. It's what it is. And Ackerman, a leftist, he sees weakness. He sees Romney, Collins, Murkowski... The three stooges, and there's a few other stooges there, no doubt about it. And the media are pushing this, pushing it very, very hard. Look at the questions that Romney's asked. Romney's not asked, Tell me 10 good things the president has done. Tell me three good things the president has done. What do you think about this? No, no, no. He's asked leading questions, and he's more than happy to answer leading questions because Romney is for Romney right now. Otherwise, he's just a backbencher. Just sitting there with his thumb up his nose. And Romney can't stand that. Romney needs to be center stage. He's an egomaniac. Willard Romney. Now we find this truly bizarre Pierre D'Electo. Under the name Pierre D'Electo, our French Republican friend Mitt Romney. He puts up this second Twitter account and he goes on that account disguised as Pierre Delecto. And when he's attacked, he defends himself. When people attack Trump, he comments positively. Like on the 25th Amendment, he commented positively on that. It's really, like, sick, actually. It's mentally off. It's unhinged. It says 72-year-old staying up morning, noon, and night on Twitter under a fake name defending himself and attacking the President of the United States. I'll be right back.
1: Mark Levin, speaking to the four of the five Americans who are literate at
2: 877-381-3811.
0: My favorite college. You know if I were of college age, I would go to Hillsdale College. I'd do it differently. I'd do it differently, all over again. I talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum. If if I could get accepted, it's a tough school to get into these days. It's exceptionally bright and patriotic students. Hundred and seventy five years ago Hillsdale was founded with a mission, defined by four enduring principles learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked many times about Hillsdale's president, Dr. Larry Arnn, one of the finest Americans I know, one of my best buddies. He explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. Larry says learning is difficult and takes more than talent, takes hard work which requires character. He says freedom is essential for learning, but it's fragile and constantly under threat. So its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority, unquote. If you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, there it is. Now you know. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And you can learn a whole lot more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Now, you've heard me talk about this site for years and years. When Hillsdale first started in radio, it began with my program sponsoring my show. It's been a tremendous honor all these years, but I really want you to check out their website. Truck drivers out there, Uber, taxi drivers. Lawyers, doctors, electricians, plumbers, police officers, firefighters, construction workers. doesn't matter. Please check out levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I think you're going to be very, very impressed with this institution. There's lots of very interesting things to see there on their site and to do with yourselves, with your family. They spend a lot of time and a lot of money developing these courses and this site. Levin for Hillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So anyway, Pierre Delecto. You have a grown man, he's 72 years old. The man ran for president 412 times, he never achieved it. He's been a liberal Republican, a conservative Republican. Now he thinks he's a John Dean. But he's Pierre Delecto. Much like Cuomo's Fredo Cuomo. Much like Brian Stelter's Brian Helter Stelter, or BS. And I can go down the list. But Pierre Delecto comes up with an idiot name like that. A French Republican does. And that's exactly what Willard Mitt Romney is. Willard Mitt Romney, Pierre Delecto. So he's been using this Twitter account and this fake name to go online and promote himself. And if he comes under attack by a columnist or something who's online, he'll go online and defend, in the third person, Mitt Romney, as Pierre Delecto. What kind of an idiot does this? What kind of a coward does it? Seriously. Also, he'll go online and he'll comment to commenters who attack the president. They attack the president and he comments. He gives them a, a good cheer. Thinks they're actually doing the right thing. Now it sounds to me like Pierre Delectico or Delecto, if you will. Delectico is the Sephardic pronunciation, Mr Producer. Uh, Pierre Delecto needs his head examined. May I say that with all due respect? I think he needs a checkup. Because something's loose. Like a screw. This guy's writing this stuff all time of the day and night. He's going online. He says Trump tweets too much. The guy's going under a false name. Tweeting. Tweeting. Somebody better check these other sites, like Facebook. What's the other one? Uh, Instagram. Twitter's been checking. This guy might be all over the place. He's a Pierre Delectico bot. Or Delecto, may I say. Ashkenazic pronunciation. Why are we talking about Pierre Delecto, one person asks. WTH is a Pierre Delecto, and why is everyone going crazy about it? Another wanted to know. On Sunday, Twitter users, this is the Washington Compost, lost their collective minds when they learned that Pierre Delecto wasn't a bot or a random Romney superfan, but an account run by the Republican senator himself. Must have a hell of a married life. Uh, as delecto Romney, who has become one of president trump 's most vocal GOP critics, used the account to light critical tweets about the President while also occasionally defending himself against detractors by early Monday. The unusual synonym was well, a pseudonym rather was a trending moment on Twitter and had been mentioned in more than forty seven thousand tweets. The Romney delecto connection was first made by slate 's Ashley Feinberg who went hunting for the secret account after the senator mentioned its existence to The Atlantic in a profile published Sunday. Profile? That guy got the uh, the spittle profile of the year. That guy was slobbering all over Romney. In a follow-up call with Atlantic reporter McKay Coppins, Romney confirmed that the account, which has been made private, is his. When reached for a comment late Sunday, a spokesperson for Romney responded by emailing the Washington Post a link to a tweet from Coppins that contained Romney's brief confirmation. Romney brought up his covert Twitter persona during an interview with The Atlantic as he discussed Trump lashing out at him on social media. Oh, now they uh, they detail what he said. The senator declined to name the account, noting only that he was following 668 people, listing journalists, late-night comedians, and athletes. You see, Romney's very concerned about what people in the media, in entertainment, and in sports think about him. You, not so much. But those slim details were more than enough for Feinberg, who previously discovered that former FBI Director James Comey was on Twitter, using the alias a I mean Reinhold Niebuhr. The process, Feinberg wrote, hinged on the assumption that Romney a known family man would want to keep close tabs on his offspring. Instead of targeting his family members with tens of thousands of followers, Feinberg homed in on a public account belonging to Ali Romney Critchlow, the senator's oldest grandchild. Critchlow account has just 481 followers, making digging through them an annoying but not impossible feat, Feinberg wrote. So here you have two adults, one who uses a fake name to promote himself and attack the president. And another who's trying to track down Romney. Like like fourth graders. Then as Feinberg looked through Critchlow's followers for users who appeared to make an effort to conceal their real identities, one caught her attention, Pierre Delecto. She said, Pierre Delecto sounds French. French. Romney, French Republican. A deeper dive into Delecto's account found that it matched the description Romney gave to The Atlantic. The account was created in Romney's not exactly the brightest bulb. 25 watts at best. The account was created in July 2011, shortly after Romney announced he was going to run for president. Slate reported. Beyond politicians, political reporters, and pundits, delecto follows late night hosts Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Fallon, and athletes like New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady and former Green Bay Packers quarterback Brett Favre, according to Slate. Mental, mental, hello, white jackets. The clues pointing to Romney continue to add up, Feinberg wrote. The first user Delecto followed was Tag Romney. What's with the names in this family? Tag, Willard, the senator's eldest son. The account later followed a number of people associated with Romney, such as advisors, aides, and reporters who've covered him. Another clue was Delecto's Twitter activity in the past eight years. He has liked 257 tweets and only tweeted 10 times, all of which replies to another Twitter user. According to Slate, Delecto liked only 70 tweets. They either came directly from Romney's official accounts or were post-quoting from those accounts. So in other words, he liked himself. Right, Mr. Beducer? He liked himself. Screenshots from the account show Delecto liking tweets that praised Romney's criticism of Trump's Syria decision. So he's liking himself when he attacks Trump. Delecto also liked tweets denouncing Trump, including one that read, If this is a stable genius, I'd hate to see what an unstable idiot would do. Romney liked that. And another criticizing the president for playing golf amid the Syrian crisis. But perhaps even more telling were Delecto's sparse tweets, several of which defended Romney. Only Republicans to hit Trump on Mueller report. Only one to hit Trump on character time and again. So Soledad, that would be Soledad O'Brien. You think he's the one without moral compass? Delecto wrote earlier this year in response to a critical tweet from journalist Soledad O'Brien. She's a journalist? She's a left-wing kook. Who had called out the senator for his utter lack of a moral compass. The account's most recent tweet, the account's most recent tweet dated Saturday, appeared to be a tongue-in-cheek response to conservative radio host and blogger Eric Erickson applauding Romney for taking a public stand against Trump. Don't read the comments ever, Delecto wrote. Social media users quickly became obsessed with the bizarre moniker the senator chose for his alter ego, as some praised Romney for the name, describing it as exquisite and objectively terrific. Others were reminded of equally distinctive pseudonyms used by public figures in the past. (laughs) Remember former New York Congressman Anthony Weiner's alias? I remember. Remember this? Carlos Danger. Remember that, Mr. Producer? (laughs) To send explicit photos to at least one woman. Former pro football player Michael Vick allegedly referred to himself as Ron Mexico in an attempt to hide his identity while receiving treatment for herpes. Even Trump has used He did? I didn't even know that. Even Trump has used a fake name going by John Barron when he pretended to be his own spokesman in the 1980s. I thought he went by John Miller. Maybe he was Barron. Some pointed out that this also isn't the first time Romney has adopted a false identity. Yes, he once called himself a a conservative, a severe conservative, false identity. In 2012, the Stanford Daily reported that when Romney was a freshman at the university, he used the name... Tim Yenmore, or Mitt minus a T. Romney backwards in an effort to foil a rival school's planned prank. This Romney boy, he is so clever. It unclear exactly how Romney decided on Pierre Delecto. But that didn't stop bigger Twitter sleuths from trying to figure it out. Look, when Romney comes on Life, Liberty, and Levin, and I'm sure he will immediately, I'll ask him. People suggested Pierre might come from Romney's time spent as a missionary in France. He was a missionary in France. See, Mr. Producer, I know. I I said he's a French Republican. And that delecto could be a reference to the Latin phrase, uh uh-oh, in flagrante delecto, which translates to while the crime is blazing. Well, it actually translates to more than that. It could be a sex act. Go ahead and look at that, Mr. Producer. I was trying to figure this out during the break. But amid theories about the name's origin... Jokes abound. Oh, Mitt. What would we do without you? Maybe we'd have a real senator. I'll be right back. In a world that has lost its way, lost respect for logic, law, and American history, who is defending you in Washington? Who speaks for conservatives? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, that's who. AMAC gives its members valuable everyday benefits and discounts, and they are terrific. While boldly defending America's priceless constitution, sacred history, individual liberties, and basic moral compass, not like the AARP. AMAC fights for border and national security, freedom of speech and religion, and values articulated by Reagan and Trump, like strong defense, limited government, lower taxes. Hard to believe we're here, but we are. And AMAC is dedicated to remembering past sacrifices and preserving America's core values for the future. They oppose the rise of socialism and the Medicare for All push. If you're not an AMAC member, you really ought to be. I am. The next election will decide our nation's fate. We will either be true to America's noble past and principles or drift deeper and deeper into the hardcore left-wing radical abyss. Folks, sign up today. You get great discounts and benefits, plus AMAC will defend us in Washington. Not the AARP. Go to amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. AMAC.us. I would encourage you to go there right now. Check it out. All right. Let's see who's left on our board. Moses, Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Go ahead, sir. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Great to speak to you again. Thank you, Moses.
5: Uh, Mark, so um, I wanted to get your input on something. Um, When when you hear these Democrats and uh, the talking heads on the media Saying such stupid things like uh, the president's doing this and that for political gains, as if everything that they do in Washington, D.C. isn't for a political gain, it really makes you wonder where, our, where we're at in our society and how constitutionally illiterate a lot of people are. But my point that I want to make was, and I, and I wanted your input on, was uh, when it comes to impeachment, the way i view it the way i feel is i feel like the the founders also put down in other words the, there's a difference right between impeaching let's say a, ju- a federal judge or a supreme court justice this this
0: is this this is a great point moses there is a difference uh there are almost a thousand federal judges Uh, You're quite right. There are all kinds of officials who are technically subjected to possible impeachment in the executive branch. Uh, You cannot impeach members of the House or Senate. Impeachment doesn't apply to them. Expulsion applies to them, and the House and the Senate can only do it under their own rules. In fact, there was an effort to impeach a senator once, and it failed. The Supreme Court rejected it as well. All that said, when you're talking about a president of the United States, there's only one. This is the only person elected nationwide to be president of the United States. It's not an appointed judge. It's not an appointed Supreme Court justice. It's not an appointed uh, employee of the executive branch of presidential appointment. He, in this case, is the president of the United States. And a, a brilliant man, I didn't always agree with what he wrote, but I agree with a lot of it. Raul, excuse me, Raoul Berger was a professor at Yale forever. Very smart man. He explained in his book on impeachment that it's different when you're talking about a president of the United States. The standard is different. The standard is higher. Because you're removing the head of the government. You're removing one of the branches of the government and replacing somebody else with the head of the government. So it is very, very important that it be done carefully. That the body politic be involved in it. And they would be appalled at what Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff and the Democrats are doing in the House where a president isn't even free to confront his accuser he's not even doesn't even know who his accuser is so Moses you raise a brilliant, brilliant point and for that sir, don't hang up I'm going to send you a signed copy of Unfreedom of the Press excellent point, I'm glad you raised it yes, so impeachment of a president by the framers of the Constitution was looked at quite differently. And it was looked as a very grave act. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all you folks out there who protect us. Thank you. And I will see you right here, same place, same time tomorrow. God bless you, be well.